Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, live from the Lakers beat, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I'm glad you said that. You threw that little Lakers beat shout out in there because (laughs) I feel myself being completely consumed by LeBron mania. Last night, I was down in San Diego at this real barn of a stadium. Very strange place of all the places in the world for LeBron to start his like Lakers tenure is at this uh, kind of old rickety uh, basketball stadium that where you know it's maybe 10,000 13,000 people something like that last night but it yeah. was sold out the fans were so pumped they were into it they were there early they were in the LeBron jerseys they broke out some like real classic old school Lakers jerseys you know Magic Kareem you always get some other ones like Elgin Baylor so it was a real scene, but I caught myself about halfway through the night, and it was probably because I was getting text messages of me looking like a doofus on the television <laughs> broadcast, you know, taking pictures of LeBron's every move with my cell phone to kind of capture it for Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I, I caught myself about halfway through the night wondering if I've just become like a glorified LeBron video blogger at this point, if that's sort of what my entire career has led to. I'm not mad at it if that's true, but I do kind of need your reality check. Like, how deep have I truly fallen here? Well, first of all, it's a healthy fear for you to have. I think you should worry about becoming like a full-on Lakers psychophant because you're spending a lot of time out there. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. The word is sycophant, Andrew. Come on now. (laughs) So close. Oh, man. Um, well, listen, that's what I get for trying to use fancy vocabulary. The, I Instead of Stan, I don't want you to ever become a full-on Lakers Stan, and you've been embedded out there for a while, and like police officers, when they go undercover, sometimes they forget who they really are. And so that is a real fear that I have on your behalf. I think you're more worried about becoming one of those people who is just reporting on LeBron constantly and is part of the oversaturation But I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to give you these first few weeks with LeBron, and then we're going to kind of go Lakers free for a while because I think that's going to be a healthy choice. What you're kind of laying me out, it's like that FBI agent who was trying to bust uh, all of like the college, uh, you know, the college sports like agents who were like, you know, giving money to the players or whatever. And then they started gambling and drinking and doing all these horrible (laughs) things, like putting their case in jeopardy. That's what you're worried about me becoming. That's a completely fair concern. I'll also say this, like the Lakers fan contingent, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Warriors fans. We always give shout outs to like Sam and Andy up there, uh, you know, the Warriors world guys. The Lakers fan sites are nuts. I mean, they roll deep, whether it's Lakers Nation. There's this great guy, Lakers Film Room on Twitter, who breaks down video clips inside and out. Like, they are making a very compelling case for me to just join their world. Like, they're actively recruiting me. (laughs) And I don't know if it's going to happen because, you know, being born and raised in, uh, you know, the Portland area, like, anti-Lakers sentiment goes very, very deep up there. So I'm not sure I'm going to get completely... Uh, sucked into what they're doing. But I also want to make sure that like you understand I'm in the quicksand, okay? You're going to try to help me pull me out of this quicksand. You're not going to dunk me back into it, right? So, yes, I'm definitely not going to let you fall into the full Lakers fan quicksand because I have to say something about Lakers fans. I have only been part of the basketball internet in earnest 
since like a full-time, full-on part of NBA Twitter for like the last five or six years, okay? And for most of that time, the Lakers have been terrible. And so I've only dealt with Lakers fans who are willing to kind of live and die with like the Jordan Clarkson era and just be there regardless. And they have all been mostly great. I've, I've really enjoyed the Lakers fans that I've interacted with. And like I've said on this podcast before, I I kind of have a soft spot for the Lakers as like the NBA's foremost evil empire. And I like them. They're like the old money version of the Warriors. Uh, that said... I am encountering a breed of Lakers fan on the internet <laughs> that I did not know existed. And these are the Lakers fans that like guys like Matt Moore are talking about and rolling their eyes at. Like I they're they're a lot like Raptors fans, except they're a lot more caustic and quick to like curse you out and question your manhood and shit like that. Like they're just pretty brutal. So I'm I'm not looking forward to like that version of of Lakers Nation coming back to the forefront, but I think so it's a, the, a given. If the Toronto fans are termites, you're, what you're basically saying is that some version of these Lakers fans are like the termites that that ate the poison, you know, that you tried to like lay out there to kill them, but it didn't kill them; it only made them stronger, right? So they're like <laughs> they're like HGH termites coming after you. Look, we get, we heard the death threats, you know, immediately after uh, yeah, the LeBron exactly, column, right? And that contingent is there. But I guess what my point is, that's not most Lakers fans. It um, isn't. And they've had a really tough run. I mean, look, no one's going to cry for Lakers fans. I mean, when you go to their practice facility, Andrew, there's six windows uh, atop the practice facility. That's just how much uh, room there is. Uh, and they have six trophies, right? And you're sitting there looking at it like, huh, they could add another 10 windows and still have another trophy for every single window at this facility. I mean, that's how much <laughs> winning they've done. So no one's feeling sorry for them. But like if you're, you know, in the age of like 18 to 25 years old as a Lakers fan, yeah. This is easily the best moment that you can remember, right? I mean, you you probably can't even call back to that like, you know, well, I guess if you're in their mid 20s, you you could remember the the back. Yeah, they were probably part of it. But this is definitely kind of a return to glory even though they haven't really won anything. Uh, but I feel like this is a curtain call for a lot of those guys and um that's great it just i i really was i was always the guy sticking up for lakers fans being like come on they're not really that bad they're kind of great actually um and in some ways they are i think it's awesome that they have as much support as they do in la but i get what people were talking about that's all i can say um i hear you on that point though about return to glory and is this really going to be glory that's where we should start, right? Because they yes. have one preseason game in the books. Uh, the Denver Nuggets ran up like 120 light on the Lakers. No problem. Uh, LeBron only played 15 minutes, obviously. But I think there were some real questions about this Lakers rock, uh, roster composition to just rise to the surface right off the bat on night one, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, my first reaction, which has really been my reaction all summer long, is that Seeing JaVale out there, I've just bummed out that that's the direction they went. You know, I understand, like, JaVale's not terrible. I just don't know why they signed him, and I don't know yeah, why wait, they're... Stop right there. Stop <laughs> right there. If they had kept Randall and not signed JaVale, you would pick the Lakers to win the title, wouldn't you? Be honest. <laughs> no, I, I love Julius Randall. I understand why they had to kind of part ways with him. He seemed pretty pissed off at the team toward the end, so it... 
it was probably always going to end badly with Randall, but like JaVale, I just don't know why, just why, why are we doing this? And why, how are the Lakers actually going to go into this season counting on him and Ivaka, wait, no, Zubak, what's his first name? Yeah, Zubak, you know, they just call him Zoo or Zubak, just just keep it easy there, you know. These pronunciations, we've already run into some significant <laughs> trouble here earlier. That's so, yeah. <laughs> Sycophant, which I don't even think you got one of the three syllables correct there. That's fine. Uh, Zubak, continue. Okay. Well, in general, LeBron with these young guys, I think it, it's, a, it's a mix that should be a lot of fun. And instead, we're going to watch them try to play Contavious Caldwell Pope again, who's who's starting this year. Rondo, like any amount of Lance Stevenson is too much Lance Stevenson, but it may take the Lakers like four months to find that out. And I'm just, what should be a fun, weird season with LeBron and those young guys, I think could be pretty frustrating if they end up leaning on some of these veterans more than they should. Well, can we cut to the the truth of the matter here? Are, is this real concern on your behalf, or are you just trying to guilt trip Le, uh, Luke Walton into just playing the young guys even more right off the bat? Like, are you actually worried that they're going to stick with some of these vets who I think you and I have been pretty steady over the last few months that guys like Beasley, Lance, Rondo, they're not bringing a ton to the table, and the Lakers' ceiling will be determined by the young players. Are you really worried that there's going to be like, whether it's a Luke decision, a front office decision, maybe it's a LeBron decision, that they're going to really keep running out some of these vet guys, or are they just letting the the young guys kind of ramp up naturally? No, I'm definitely sincerely worried. I mean, this is not, none of this is fake. Uh, I think that like the concern should be something you said, their ceiling is dependent on the progress of those young players. I don't know if everyone in LA realizes that, that like this only works if it works with Lonzo and Ingram and Kuzma and Josh Hart. And I don't know if LeBron is completely on that page. I don't know if the front office is on that page. Um, But that to me is, is a true statement about the Lakers. And it may just take some of those guys a little while longer to figure that out. Uh, But like Josh Hart is really good and he should be starting like whatever you paid KCP doesn't matter just sit him on the bench play him 20 minutes a game or whatever you need to play him but like I think Hart is the guy that should be starting next to LeBron and uh they're not going that direction at least early and so it's a worry and I'm strictly speaking as a basketball fan I would really enjoy watching LeBron try to make it work with some of those younger guys Watching LeBron try to make it work with Rondo and JaVale McGee and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, like that's a tough ask, you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I'm hoping that this is just kind of a show of respect to some of the young, uh, the older guys, whether it's yeah. Rondo or KCP, and that like that show, like all pretenses start to get dropped maybe around Thanksgiving, and it's like, all right, we're going to actually put out these young guys now, like giving them the benefit of the doubt to start the season as starters. And then, you know, ramping down their roles as the season goes. That's at least what I hope will happen. You know, one thing that I did notice on this point is that some of these vets, like the box score contributions don't really uh, reflect the in-person experience of watching them. Yeah. Uh, And sometimes the highlight clips don't really reflect the full experience of watching them. So, for example, JaVale, he's like super efficient from the field. 
in game one. But after about five minutes of watching him, I had already had enough JaVale for the entire season. I'm not trying to like hop onto the, like the Barkley and, <laughs> and, and Shaq like trash wagon. Like they love to just slam that guy. And I know he's really defensive about it and everything else, but like, he's just not very fun to watch play Dude, basketball. That's exactly where I am. I don't want to be a jerk about this. I just don't want to watch JaVale McGee play basketball. Okay. It's nothing personal. It just, I'm out <laughs> and I, and you know, I don't know what to do because we're going to be doing this for the next nine months uh, with the Lakers, but it's going to be a little tricky for me. Yeah. And so you, that's one example. Like. <laughs> oh yeah, for, for sure. And then the other example would be Lance. It's like, Oh, he made a jumper and there he is yeah. like doing the little like shoulder wiggle. And it's like, Lance, all right let's just focus and play like three solid minutes of basketball straight. No mistakes. Can we just do that and focus a little bit less on like the clip that you know is going to go viral? And I think for the Lakers, I mean, they've got some real issues. I mean, it starts to me inside though. Like they're playing JaVale a significant amount because the other options, whether it's Zubak or, you know, Wagner is still hurt. So they haven't been able to look at him. The yeah. other options are not great, and I love the idea of them going small and making some kind of calculated bets, right? Let's play super fast. Uh, let's switch everything. Like, Let's hope that the rebounding from like guys like Lonzo or Rondo or some of their backcourt players who are good rebounders can kind of compensate for maybe a lack of size or interior strength or, or rim protection, right? Like, There's definitely some trade-offs to be had. That sounds well and good until Kyle Kuzma is your center and Jokic is the guy he's trying <laughs> to stop. And that's where it gets really dicey. And like, I, there's a lot of positive buzz around Kuzma here locally about what kind of a player he can become, how he's worked on his defensive uh, you know, uh, impact and all of that. Def- but yeah. asking him to play big minutes at center is asking an awful lot, even against small ball lineups. And maybe their strategy will work. Maybe they'll just be able to run a lot of people up and down the court so fast that uh, they'll be able to keep themselves out of these tough matchups. But I'm not totally sold yet. And I don't think that LeBron could be the answer at the five. You know, I, I to me, I don't, that's, I don't either. that's the kind of fatal flaw of this, of this roster. And I don't know if they can go make a move, if they just hope that Wagner can be an impact rookie, which I think would be, uh, you know, a real stretch. Um, but I think that that's going to be ultimately what holds them back from really, truly mattering this season is that hole. And, you know, frankly, we saw it on night one, right? Like they really did not have answers there and and it led to other kinds of breakdowns defensively. They, they weren't getting out to shooters uh, probably as well as they wanted to. They weren't rotating as a team quite as well as they wanted to. And those kinds of things tend to happen when you don't trust your backline defense. Yeah. And if there's one thing I'm not... I don't really care about defense unless it's really, really bad. And it looks like the Lakers run the risk of having a really, really bad defense some nights. And uh, if there's one thing I've learned over the last couple of years as I've started following this stuff closer and talking to you for three hours every week and falling deeper and deeper into this world, I'm in my own quicksand pit here. Uh, But the big man are really, really important to having a good defense. And you can't just not have one. and Or you can't pretend that JaVale McGee is the solution there. And like you look at the Lakers' schedule, which we don't have to go through now, but it's pretty tough the first couple weeks. And, you know, they're going to have to play the Spurs twice and deal with LaMarcus Aldridge. They're going to have to play the Blazers on opening night. And, like, uh, Nurkic isn't a world beater, but 
I mean, he's going to have his way with Kyle Kuzma. And they're just, I like the small ball bet also, but I think it's a, it's a big risk and it's asking the offense to be really, really good to have a chance. And that's like a, that's a tough curve. Absolutely. And it's saying the pace has to be sky high, like faster than New Orleans played last year, like faster than maybe any teams played in recent years. And that is tricky to commit to, right? Like running off of makes, you know, that takes real mental commitment to do that time after time after time, always pushing the ball in transition, you know, even when you're tired, even in the middle of the fourth quarter or whatever it might be takes a, just a different level of commitment. I think that's where they're at their best. I mean, the most entertaining uh, moments of that game came early uh, last night in San Diego where the Lakers were just flying up the court. They were getting into their offense with like 20, 21 seconds left on the shot clock. They were getting pretty good shots. LeBron was whipping the ball around the perimeter. Things were really humming. Yeah, That's when this Lakers team is at their best. And there may be a question, do they have enough shooters to kind of make that strategy work? Uh, you know, Is their offense really capable of being as good as it needs to be? Let's find those questions out through trial and error, like test that philosophy, right? Because if you're trying to put defensive players on the court with this team and like trying to like find balance by, you know, playing some size like Zubak, I think you've already kind of lost the bet, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I was a big Zubak guy for about two weeks, I think two years ago, Um, but I he's not someone I would really put much stock in at this point. And the other thing I would mention is, if you're talking about playing fast as the solution, you know, LeBron works in just about any context and it's it's easy to imagine him as the centerpiece of literally any style you want to play, but he hasn't really loved playing fast over the last few years and the idea of playing fast with LeBron always sounds great, but is it never really comes to fruition and so I'm interested to see how he responds to doing that for more than a couple weeks in in a row. You know what I mean? I mean, we kind of just like he's going to have to be great and like borderline superhero ish to make any of this work. And maybe he can do that. But it's a pretty crazy challenge. No doubt. I mean, the dirty little secret of both LeBron and Rondo is for as incredible as, as passers as they are. They both like to ball stop a little bit. They both yeah. like to pound and kind of think and like slow things down. And Rondo was actually able to break out of that pretty consistently at times last year. And I think that was a major reason that kind of fueled New Orleans' success. He has to really commit to push, push, push constantly. If they get into the half court and he's just, you know, bouncing the ball around, everyone else is just sort of like, you know, running through their plays, that's not going to work out very well for LA. And same thing for LeBron. I mean, I think he's obviously in the condition and shape he needs to be in to you know push up and down but like when you're in a late game scenario all of your habits take over right it's exactly. like okay i want to i want to go and you know post a guy up one-on-one slow this thing down if you can't defend and get stops on the other end in a slower style pace uh all your offensive brilliance is, is going to wind up going to waste so i think we found you know some really major philosophical questions for the lakers how often do they stay big versus how often do they go small and how completely can they commit to playing a high-speed you know, brand of basketball. I think those are going to be sort of their defining questions all season long. Yeah, um, and while we're on the topic of night one revelations for the Lakers, I want you to know it took a lot of restraint not to text you talking shit after every single Brandon Ingram bucket, but he, he did fine. look pretty great, didn't he? 
He was fine. I mean, he was good. Uh, obviously, there he's going to have else. a nice year. Okay, he'll probably be right where we said he would be on the top 100. You know how that goes. We've never <laughs> okay. made a mistake in, in five or six years, and we're not about to make one now. I oh. think he has kind of been the anointed one. Uh, I mentioned earlier Kuzma's gotten a lot of hype, and that's fine. But Ingram, to me, is the X factor on the whole squad. And LeBron treats him in a way that he doesn't really treat a lot of his other teammates. He's always kind of going out of his way to dap up Ingram. They they seem to have kind of a connection. I'm sure you saw early in the game, LeBron's you know really nifty no look pass to Ingram. Yeah. And it's not just about being like LeBron's preferred teammate. You know, this isn't like you know Chetty Osman part two, right? Right. I think it's also about an organizational commitment to explore everything that Ingram can do. Uh, one of the things that Luke Walton has really harped on the first week is turning Ingram into a playmaker, allowing him to be the guy who has the ball in his hands when LeBron's off the court. Yeah, and uh, they've even talked about you know using Ingram kind of at all five spots, you know, implying that he's almost like the point guard on the court, and then at times he may have to play center uh, in small ball looks. That's a lot of responsibility for him, uh, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to have to show he's ready for it because the minutes when LeBron was off the court last night, the Lakers kind of crumbled they kind of fell to pieces uh especially in the first half and we don't want this to turn into another Russell Westbrook situation right where you've got one really great player you've got some nice supporting pieces but when that great player comes off the court everyone else is kind of standing around saying hey what do we do I think that's another concern for the Lakers is how do you maximize the time when LeBron's on the bench and I think that's why the pressure really falls on Ingram's shoulders yeah and it's a concern I mean, it's a concern in Oklahoma City, but it's even more so in LA because all those guys are so young and they haven't ever really done that. They haven't ever been part of a five-man unit that isn't like a net negative. And uh, and so someone like Ingram is going to have to learn on the fly how to play winning basketball on his own. Granted, like Ingram's probably not going to play that many minutes on his own, but uh, it's going to be a real challenge. And I'm, the thing that I'm curious of, about with him is, like, is he a long-term piece in L.A.? Does he become a trade piece? Because if they're going to go after someone elite like Anthony Davis, or I could see LeBron missing on Anthony Davis and, and trying to go get Damian Lillard or something, like, if they're going to want to make a real trade for a superstar, they're going to have to throw in a real asset. And Ingram is the only one that has like meaningful value to other teams. And so Andrew, his- <laughs> come on, you're, you're getting to the point of self parody here. So you're going to build this guy up so quickly that you're going to say we underrated him by 20 spots on the top 100. He's going to be this breakout player. You probably got him on your MVP ballot, right? But then in the next breath, you're going to trade him already. You're going to break up this burgeoning Lakers core by shipping Brandon Ingram Excuse me. I am not the one who's trading him. I'm saying I could certainly see a scenario in which LeBron loses in the first round and you spin it forward a couple weeks and there's just a lot of urgency to go get a star, whether it's Anthony Davis or someone else, and everybody is on the table in that scenario. And so I personally would keep Ingram. He's like... Uh, my, my nephew I love him um but as far as LeBron is concerned I don't know I think he's he's smart enough though to realize that Ingram is really valuable and probably the most important kind of x factor for the Lakers future whether he's part of the team or part of a trade that brings back a superstar who's ready to go win immediately 
You know how a basketball reference always has guys' nicknames, and they're like always really random nicknames that you've never heard of before on the player pages, and you're just like, no one's ever called him that. <laughs> I need the basketball reference guys to up, update uh, Brandon Ingram's nickname and just in parentheses have it say Andrew Sharp's nephew. I think that <laughs> that would leave everyone confused. Really, really um, creepy. Yeah. Well, big picture though, because I. I hear what you're saying. You're worried that maybe LeBron's not going to be as patient come April as he's trying to pretend that he is right now. Because yeah. I do think both LeBron and Luke Walton, you know, throughout this training camp period, have really stuck to the script about the patience thing. They haven't put out a lot of, you know, big time expectations in terms of, you know, are they gonna win a playoff series? They've said, you know, it's going to take time. We're new. They're not even putting a lot of short term pressure in terms of being ready to really hit the ground running hard early in the season. Um, that sounds well and good in October, right? Yeah. But once you're LeBron in February, you know, we've seen it before with teams in the past where he just starts to, you know, half check out on his group. You know, he starts putting up the Arthur memes. I mean, whatever it might be, like he gets a little bit frustrated, right? Exactly. So big picture, how much of this team do you see kind of turning over uh, into next season? And I ask that because if you are really ready to trade Ingram, Aren't you basically at that point saying the entire roster could be different next year? Wait a second. Uh, just to be clear, I'm not ready to trade Ingram. That's my nephew, okay? So don't put me in this. Uh, but I think, yes, the LeBron people are going to be... I, I could see it happening. And uh, Okay. Uh, I apologize. I didn't mean to make it personal. <laughs> Excuse I'm just saying, me, sir. <laughs> look, look. There is a segment of the Lakers pop fan population we were just talking about earlier I would say a guy like Ingram's untouchable in trade talks, right? He's on a yeah. rookie contract. He's super young. They drafted him. They've got a lot invested in him. A guy like Luke Walton has managed his development, you know, step by step, sure. year by year. And so there are some people who would say, Andrew, you're crazy. Your nephew does not belong in trade conversation whatsoever. He's going to be a Laker for his entire career, right? So what I'm saying is if you're more open to this idea that the roster could really turn over then who do you see as long-term pieces from this group? Or is this all just completely a placeholder team that we're going to look back on and kind of chuckle over in, in two or three years? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a good question. I guess, it, and it's also a good place to end our Lakers discussion after literally one preseason game. Um, we, we need to be <laughs> careful not to go too deep into these waters every single podcast because it is really interesting. Um I, what I would say is that there are really only two players who I think are definitely going to be on this team next year. Um, well, I would say LeBron obviously will be there. But then beyond LeBron, I think they're going to keep Josh Hart because his contract is super valuable and he is a great fit next to Braun. And then I also think they're going to keep our guy Svi Michalik, uh, Michalik Jordan, I think that he, again, because of the contract, they're going to keep him around um, just as sort of like a cheap piece. I don't know how much he's actually going to be able to help, but like... Yeah, no, I love this. You're just picking the guys who played great at Las Vegas Summer League. This sounds like <laughs> something that I would I say. I wasn't okay. even at Summer League, man. I just... <laughs> everyone else is going to be at least on the table, in my opinion. No, I mean, I, I do think there's lots of guys who are playing for their jobs, specifically the vets, right? Yeah. Like those guys could all be not even make it the whole season, right? Like right. I could see some of those guys, you know, gone at the trade deadline, bought out in circum uh, certain situations. And a lot of those guys have been on sort of one-year deals here for a few seasons where 
that's just kind of the nature of being a journeyman at that point of their career. So uh, I can absolutely see uh, lots of transition there. I think with this, this younger core, though, their best hope is to keep those guys together as much as possible, right? Like if you do have a team of LeBron, Ingram, Lonzo, Kuzma, Hart, and then you're able to add one big time free agent next summer, that's not the worst team in the world. Like that's starting to no. like, you know, turn into something pretty special. It might not be where people were hoping it would be this season. You know, this might not be a team that can get to 50 wins, but I- I'm not sure I'm ready to sell this whole young core up the river after one game like you are. <laughs> Wait a second. It's not me selling this core. I, I, hey, look, I'm messing with you, man. Um, Listen, I I agree with you, what you just said. And I think if they could go get, someone like Kawhi next summer they could be in great shape man and look Kawhi actually looked okay in that first Raptors game and uh and they could be in really good shape if they were able to get Kawhi and a big man who's cheap and isn't JaVale McGee next summer um so it could go a lot of different directions I just hope people are prepared for some of some of the crazier scenarios because I think everything is in play as soon as LeBron loses in the first round which like if and, and he he could certainly go further, but if he suffers that kind of failure, like that, he hasn't had that happen in more than a decade, and it just he could react in all kinds of different ways. Um, and, and that's more than anything. Seeing how LeBron handles failure is what I'm most interested in from this Lakers season. And it's not to say that the Lakers are trash or whatever, but like. LeBron just has a really high bar for success, and the, and the Lakers probably aren't a, aren't going to be in a position to meet that. Yeah, I mean, you can try to deflate expectations as much as possible right now, but come April, people are going to expect yeah. LeBron to be in the postseason, and there will be that reckoning there where it's like, look, this was your decision. You know, it will kind of fall back on LeBron's shoulders, and I do think uh, the bar for a successful season for them, to me is winning a first round playoff series. If yes, they're not capable of doing that, then there's going to be a lot to talk. And I could still see patience winning out, you know, going into year two. Um, but things will get dicier if they're not able to do that. I don't think that there's going to be any sort of reckoning if they lose in round two, whether it's, you know, Houston or Utah or Golden State, whoever. Uh, I think people would be okay with that. I think LeBron would be able to skate on the like, quote unquote, failure talk. Uh, even if they lose in round two. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's keep it moving. We've got some questions this week. The first one here is from Rajko, who says, are we ever going to talk about how Ben keeps getting the right kind of fame on social Mm. media? Examples include LeBron James commenting on the top 100 on Instagram and Ben's Instagram videos continuously being used in famous Instagram pages like the House of Highlights. Meanwhile, Andrew goes on TV and creates negative headlines regarding Kevin Durant rumors. Isn't it time for Ben to coach Andrew on how to become more social media savvy to garner that type of positive attention? Uh... Look, before I even let you start, Ben, <laughs> emailers of Open Floor Globe, you can always reach us at openfloormail at gmail.com, but please don't encourage Ben Golliver's worst instincts. Please. <laughs> this is a man who was 
dead serious lecturing me about not using Instagram stories enough from my trip to Chapel Hill and Durham this weekend. This is a man who has completely lost himself to Instagram over the last year and a half. And so I just, I worry. I worry about what emails like this do to you and your psyche, Ben. Here's what I worry about. People who have less than 3,000 Instagram followers because, (laughs) Andrew, I now have more than 3,000 Instagram followers. And I I think you actually could take some notes. Roshko, (laughs) brilliant understanding of the situation. Andrew tried to get out in front of it. There's no doubt. But I just want you to realize, Andrew, that you need to think of the kids, okay? We've been getting some unbelievable emails from around the world, Open Floor Globe members. We've got, you know, like six, seven, eight-year-olds sending in their Legos that they've built. You know, we've got all these, you know, proud dads, you know, taking their kids to all these amazing places and telling us about, oh, yeah, we went to this national park because you guys always talk about national parks. Think about all the young minds out there, Andrew, that you could be shaping right now and all of the knowledge and experiences that you get to have (laughs) as a member of the Sports Illustrated team that you are selfishly keeping hidden from the masses. For example, this notorious trip to Chapel Hill, Uh perfect example. You go see, you know, one of the the greatest and most prestigious college basketball programs. You're getting behind the scenes access. You have all these great pictures of their uh, Final Four logos that they've won and their national championship titles. I'm sure you probably <laughs> even had a, a Michael Jordan banner. Did we see anything except for tumbleweeds on your social media account? The answer is no. Pure tumbleweeds. Then. You get behind-the-scenes access to Duke basketball. Now, look, I don't expect you to take selfies with Coach K, all right? Uh-huh. But I do I do want to get a, a flavor of what it's like on that campus because, Andrew, as you noted last week, one of my goals is to go to all 50 states. You know one of the states that I haven't been to? North Carolina. Oh, now, wow. I will be solving that you know, at All-Star Weekend, but... I would love to know what it looks like there. You know, what is the atmosphere like? Boy, it would be so great if I had a close friend who was there who could tell me all about (laughs) it and deliver it right to my phone. Third, and you didn't mention this. Of course you didn't. Didn't you go to Wake Forest as well and personally build a shrine to Tim Duncan out front of their basketball court? I know you did that. And I really appreciate the time and effort, the thought, the planning that went into making. I think it was an eight and a half foot tall statue that you actually sculpted of Tim Duncan to put onto their campus. Brilliant work by you. Again, oh, I don't want to promote my work. You know, I, I'm just a writer. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to be out there. I don't want people to view me a certain way. Andrew, if you're putting in all this time and energy to your day-to-day life, share it with the Open Floor Globe. Let all these young minds uh, around the world just kind of bathe in your greatness. Listen, man, I'm the person who got you on Instagram, okay? So don't sit here lecturing me. The, for the <laughs> my, my social media behavior, I like to be a little bit more circumspect sometimes, and that's fine. You're, you've gone full millennial, just sharing like 15 different things every day and leaning into it. And I respect how shameless you've been about it. The picture for anyone who didn't see Ben over the weekend, there was a picture (laughs) of him among a sea of beat writers, all of whom were working except Ben in the center of it was like sitting up in his seat and angling himself to get the perfect Instagram shot of LeBron. It, you know, it's, in some respects, it's probably cause for concern 
that that's your behavior at this point. But again, I'm ultimately proud of you for leaning into it. Um, Good, because I'm not proud of you because you know who you remind me of, <laughs> oh, and I don't. I don't make this comparison lightly, Andrew. Uh-huh. We put Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, and he didn't talk oh, for like oh my five God. straight years. <laughs> I mean, he's he's voting on all of these decisions, but he's not asking questions. He's not really participating. He's just sort of there. Yeah. Right now, you are the Clarence Thomas of wow. Instagram, okay? So you need to step it up, and I know that hurts. I know that it does. really it does. goes deep. I need to take deep. a long look in the mirror after that one. This is some real topical Beltway humor from me, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> don't be the Clarence Thomas of Instagram, Andrew. I want to see what you're up to. You're getting to do all sorts of fun things this season, uh, you know, with yeah. your great work at Sports Illustrated. So let's see it. Share well, it. Don't be afraid. I thought that a low point for this podcast was going to be an email we got like a week or two ago with somebody comparing us to Ben Shapiro and Alex Jones. <laughs> but <laughs> comparing me to Clarence Thomas somehow took us one rung lower. Uh, but hey, listen, Chapel Hill was awesome and my number one takeaway out of that is that we should play significantly more nba preseason games at some of these iconic college basketball sites um because you know so hold on did you get all the memory trip are you going down memory lane from that amazing time in high school where you like escaped your parents wrath to go watch a game and you got all the trouble i mean when you were going back there to watch the celtics preseason game did all those (laughs) memories come flooding back honest to god they did and for people who didn't hear me explain my field trip a couple years ago uh When I was 18 years old, I snuck down to Chapel Hill to watch North Carolina play in the national championship game. And uh, I mean, that to this, because I was a pretty big Carolina fan growing up, and that was one of the five best nights of my entire life. It was so much fun. Um, And so I did have a little, a couple flashbacks, you know, walking across the the uh, walking across Franklin Street there. Um, it was fun. And then I went to Duke and I had never been to Duke, but I watched Duke basketball practice in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And I have to say that whole experience made me a little bit uncomfortable as a Carolina fan because I did not like how much I enjoyed it, if that makes sense. Uh, it does. I mean, how does it feel to be like a double win connoisseur? I mean, you, know, you, <laughs> you you see me going to Alabama, and now all of a sudden, okay, you, you're going to one up me by doing Carolina and Duke basketball back to back. I mean, can you paint for me how crazy are they about college hoops there? Because I was, you know, raised in kind of like a, a desert of college hoops. I mean. You know, when I was growing up, Oregon, Oregon State, I mean, they had some teams, but you know, especially Oregon State there for a while with like Gary Payton, but it wasn't that big of a deal in the Portland area. Yeah. And there really wasn't a high profile uh, you know, basketball team anywhere near us. But I mean, I assume you're growing up and there's Maryland hoops, Georgetown hoops, plus these Carolina teams. I mean, how nuts is it? It it's pretty nuts. I mean, certainly more nuts than like the Maryland area is. Um I I the Duke It's a good point on your part. Duke basketball is really the only way I could have become more insufferable than you being embedded with Alabama football for a couple days. And uh, so, again, I'm not really proud of it. I'm pretty uncomfortable with the whole thing. But um, 
the yeah the, that whole area is nuts for college basketball any and really any basketball they were pretty into the Celtics preseason game which shocked me I was expecting like maybe 75 people to be there but like the Dean Dome was full and uh so it was cool the NBA should do that more often um but yeah, the only team they, they don't like is the Hornets right <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's the thing I was with I was with a friend who lives down there and he was saying you know if they played if the Hornets played in Raleigh, there would be much better support because that part of North Carolina is more used to like loving basketball and just going to basketball games. Um, whereas Charlotte is more like the football NASCAR side of the state. Um, but that's just my friend's opinion. He could be completely wrong. So, uh, that sounds like there's something to that. Yeah. Maybe we should have our North Carolina listeners weigh in on this. Yeah, that's what Sharp's, I'm worried about. Sharp's friend has a theory, and Sharp has dispensed it with secondhand authority. Yeah, Please I am not confirm or deny. Um, but listen, it's been too long without a Jimmy Butler update. So here we have oh. two questions. First, Aaron says, "Hey guys, a good buddy of mine is a Mavs fan, and he pitched the idea of Jimmy to the Mavs." At first, I thought he was crazy, but what about Harrison Barnes and Dwight Powell? It would work on the trade machine. What do you think? Um, and it's Harrison Barnes and Dwight Powell for Gorgie and Jimmy Butler. Uh, I think the Mavs need to see what they have with with the roster that's already there before they even think about making any deal like this. Um, and like I, for some reason, I keep seeing Jimmy Butler mentioned as a potential Mavs target and it doesn't totally make sense to me do you have any reactions well if Luka's going to be as good as Mavs fans expect him to be I don't think you want that tension over whose ball is it right like I think there's already going to be a little bit of uh you know tug of war between Luka and Dennis Smith over like touches and responsibility like they're going to have to kind of work through that and they'll probably be okay because so many of the other guys on that current roster are just not like high usage type guys. Yeah. When you start to throw like like Luca versus Butler, like who's going to run the offense, who's going to have to play off the ball, and as we've seen with Jimmy, like he has to be on the ball, right? I'm not sure that's the role that you want for Luca. So personally, I wouldn't do that move. I do like this idea of like being a Timberwolves marketing person and have to like pitch your fan base on a front court of. Andrew Wiggins and Harrison Barnes, you know, it's like that you have to get very creative when you're coming up with your season ticket sales pitches to like, Hey guys, invest in Wolves basketball, Andrew Wiggins and Harrison Barnes here to disappoint you three out of four nights. Yeah. The the Wolves marketing people are probably screwed regardless. Whatever happens with this Jimmy Butler trade, it's not going to be a great day in the Wolves marketing department. Um, Do you think there's like 60,000 Butler bobbleheads just in a, in a (laughs) warehouse right now, just like what are we gonna do with these things? yeah ready to be sent to central america uh it's possible look i the the one thing with the mavs is i think that they've managed their roster really well um you know they're in a spot where they can compete now but there isn't a ton of pressure to make the playoffs and i think if you believe in luca like it's a good idea to surround him with veterans who will give him a chance to compete, but it would be a bad idea to bring in enough talent so that like there's a nightly demand to go win and be great. Uh, because I think that there are going to be ups and downs and it's the, the Mavs are going to just sort of be one of those teams 
bouncing between seventh place and 11th place. And that's like, that's a good, healthy place for them to be trying to do something more than that is probably a bad idea. No, I think I caught you earlier kind of pounding your chest about Brandon Ingram's amazing preseason debut. How are you feeling about Luca's preseason debut? Because I know there was a lot of people who are Luca diehards, like you're an Ingram diehard, who were having a pretty good time with uh, you know, his first uh, taste of NBA action. Should we just shift to the Luca section of the pod here? That's a, that's a good transition because we, we did. We heard from a lot of people who were very impressed by like three Luka Doncic highlights against the Beijing Ducks. So oh, here we go. <laughs> All right. First, Barack says, I find it baffling that Sharp is so low on Luka Doncic, yet so high on Ingr- on Brandon Ingram. They fill the same wing creator role on offense and have a lot of similar strengths in in terms of ball handling, passing, and shooting potential. Um, That's fair, and Barack is like an all-time open floor listener and emailer, uh, so no disrespect. But I think like the key difference with that comparison is number one, Luca is a much better passer, like just a completely different tier, and number two. Ingram can already get to the rim against basically anyone in the league and uh and his offense just comes easier because he's so freakishly long and can kind of get wherever he, wherever he needs to go and we're still waiting to see whether Luka can make that happen or to what degree Luka can can kind of dominate as a scorer offensively um not that Ingram's dominating but you know like he's going to need to create space Yeah, I'm kind of picturing here, maybe we can solve both players' physique problems, because I think you mentioned Luka (laughs) looks like a 7-Eleven employee, and I know the NBA Reddit people had a lot of fun at your expense about that, Uh but Ingram looks like a Calvin Klein model. I mean, he's like built like he's, you know, 40 pounds underweight. Yeah. I feel like if we can just suction like 20 to 25 pounds off of Luka's frame and then place it, just graft it onto Ingram's frame... We could balance out, you know, sort of our normal standards of what we expect from sort of playmaking wings and arrive at a healthier balance. What do you think? Do you think both teams would go for that if we traded like 20 pounds worth of Luka Doncic body fat <laughs> for like some of the uh, the Kobe Bryant inspired like energy drinks from the Lakers side? Would both teams say yes? I think that's a, an amazing idea. Um, truly, I'm inspired. Uh, I also really like that. Ingram is a Calvin Klein model to you. I feel like Calvin Klein models. That's like a 1997 reference. Um, but uh, but I Perfect. appreciate right, it. Right in my sweet spot <laughs> yeah. for pop culture. Um, I here's the thing. This is one of the downsides of the podcast getting a little bit more traction lately. Like <laughs> we have to. God remember, forbid you're accountable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. People actually listen to us, which can be great, but is also a little bit dangerous sometimes because like interpersonal trash talk is gets taken too far. Um, but did you read the thread at all? The one joke I saw was they said you look like the kind of person who would be like shoulder tapping outside of 7-Eleven to get someone to buy you liquor. <laughs> that was my that was the line that I saw. What were some pretty, of the other highlights? No, it was pretty great. That line is definitely was the the winner of the entire thread and I was impressed. Um and it's true. I do look like I'm about 17 years old sometimes. Um 
So but, now we uh, need like Luca to get a baseball bat from behind the counter and like chase you off of the Seven <laughs> Eleven stoop. Essentially, is what people are want- wanting here. Yeah, uh, it was it was pretty funny though because there were definitely a lot of people who took that Doncic opinion very seriously. But then I was happy to see that we also had our fair share of supporters in the comments over there, where the, everyone was just like. Every time someone would say sharp is nothing but trash hot takes, someone would pop up and say like open four is pretty great. And he's mostly joking. So shout out to any listeners who defended my honor in there. Um, And good luck to Luka Doncic, you know, I mean, I'm rooting for him. He did look good and it's it'll be more fun if he's awesome. I love that you're just on a roasting tour. Like you go from Philly where you've got this entire <laughs> building of people mocking you and you're pretending that a lot of people are nice straight to a live performance on NBA Reddit, where again, the pattern continues. I can't wait to see where you're going next. Yeah. Who can you anger uh, so you can be publicly flogged and then let everybody know after the fact that, no, no, we're all friends. Everybody likes me. <laughs> <laughs> just doing what I can, whatever I need to tell myself. Look, Luca. His game looks great. His physique is completely fine. Um, and it would be fun to have kind of a thicker wing uh, dominate the next few years. A, a nice successor to Harden. The one thing well, I wanted to add... You know, go I'm ahead. with you, though, because you were, you were really playing uh, maybe a lack of athleticism. I mean, not being able to just blow by the Beijing Ducks on a play-after-play basis... It's not like I'm concerned about it, but I really do think you're onto something with that being an issue, right? And yeah, that's something that I think we talked about during the pre-draft. I mean, and one night of highlights aside for the Doncic believers, like guys, he is going to have to show that he can get all the way to the rim consistently off the dribble uh, against elite NBA wings, um, or his ceiling will be lower than guys like myself have been sort of hyping over the last year. And that question was not answered uh, by the head-to-head with the the Beijing Ducks. Yes, um, but it will be really interesting to watch all year long. So uh, as long as we acknowledge that there is a question, I think what rubbed me the wrong way was hearing how everyone was talking about him as if he's a sure thing and anyone who isn't sold, like is stuck in the dark ages and, and thinks this is like the 1980s NBA. Like that, that's, there are real questions with him, um, but the answers will be pretty interesting. So with that, can I take you back to Jimmy Butler corner for like five minutes here? Oh, wow. Yes, please. Okay. So first reverse of all, it. flip it around and reverse <laughs> yeah, it. We're jumping all over the place. Whatever. It's October 1st. Um, Matt says, last year I emailed you guys when you were slagging off the Bulls for the trade they made with the Wolves. I said, I think the Bulls got a good deal, that Jimmy Butler has a massive ego, and that the Wolves would regret it when he leaves to join an L.A. team. I think time has shown that I was right. The Bulls did the right thing to trade Butler. There's no denying he is a great player, but I don't think any team could win a title with him as the number one guy, and the Bulls realized that just in time. Will you admit that the Bulls got a good deal? Um, I'm not quite to Bulls got a good deal territory just yet, but I do think that the Bulls are the one party involved in the whole Jimmy Butler saga who are like unequivocal winners after all of this. What do you think? 
I mean, do I have to acknowledge the fact that they traded for Levine with the purpose of paying him what they wound up paying him? Because <laughs> I don't think you could be a, yeah, I don't think you could be considered a winner there. I mean, Matt, I see two different questions here. Did the Bulls reach the right conclusion to trade Jimmy when they did? I think you can make a very strong argument that you were proven right that yes. they reached the 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 right time to move on from him. Uh, being the number one guy on a team that was going to go past the first round in Chicago, given the other you know players on that roster, it just wasn't going to happen. So yes, you can defend their decision to trade Jimmy. But in terms of the return package and Chicago's subsequent moves that have happened in the immediate wait, 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 wait. wake of that. Subsequent? This is a psychophant moment for you. You mean subsequent? Oh. Subsequent, subsequent. Can we get a can we get a jury? Do we have like an iPhone a friend and see if my uh, oh my how the tables have turned? I love it. Um, okay, but continue. I think subsequent might be right, but anyway, um, I think that when you're throwing in the the Jabari contract, the general aimlessness, the Zach Levine money, and I mean Chris Dunn, meh. Like I would be more convinced if Chris Dunn had established himself as like a starting quality point guard yeah that this would be a a better move i mean i think lowry you know let's put aside his injury and when we're factoring into this question i mean i do think that that was a nice pick um and a nice decision by them but i'm still not convinced that like the right to pay zach levine tons of money and a very mediocre chris dunn and moving up a few spots to get lowry was the best that you could do at that time for jimmy butler because Again, he had two years on his contract at that point. Yep. He hadn't shown some of these, you know, strange tendencies in terms of, uh, you know, just walking off the job and, and demanding a trade and expecting it to be done within 72 hours like he has here over the last week. Uh, and I think from that standpoint, his trade value was significantly higher when they traded him than it is right now. I, I think you're right about all of that. Um, I have a couple thoughts. The one thing with Jimmy... A lot of people have talked about him as a locker room cancer, and I think that is sort of affecting his trade value, at least with a couple teams who who would otherwise be interested. But has he ever actually been wrong? Like, if we look at the locker rooms that he has supposedly poisoned, I mean, he the power struggle with Derrick Rose, like, he was right that Derrick Rose should not have still been taking as many shots as he was, like... He was right that the three alphas bulls were a mess, and he was probably right that the that Wiggins and Towns like didn't quite have it or weren't all there mentally. I mean, do you do you sense any of that? Look, Andrew. I mean, you complain about me, you know, being hard on you week after week after week, but then when you take a step back, you realize the vast improvement you've had in your life by spending <laughs> all this time with me. And I think if the young guys were able to take a step back and you know have enough self perspective, they would realize that Jimmy Butler was the best thing that happened to that Minnesota Timberwolves team uh, in years. Yeah, and they're going to miss him when they're gone. I mean, I, I also saw Wiggins' highlights from opening night against the Golden State Warriors. I mean, sorry, scratch that. Not highlights, lowlights. I mean, their offense looked really... <laughs> oh, sick burn. <laughs> their offense looked very my turn, your turn. Wiggins is taking lots of tough twos, dribbling to nowhere, not creating good shots, not doing what he does best. Yeah. And that's going to be their reality for the foreseeable future because they had a star level player and they weren't able to sort of, you know, keep him happy and invested. And it's not all the player's fault. It's definitely on Thibodeau, like I mentioned on, on previous episodes. But 
it's a star-driven league. You got to cater to the stars, and that means the supporting guys have to go along with the uh, you know whatever the star is doing. And uh, I think the big question that Jimmy needs to take away from all of this is: Is there somewhere he can be happy? Right? Yeah. Because at some point, if you're always upset, if you're not happy with poor teammates in Chicago, if you're not happy. Uh, with kind of mediocre teammates in Minnesota, and then you're not necessarily interested in playing with LeBron, what is the setup that you want? Exactly. What is the group of teammates that's going to get you to a point where you can make uh, you know, a deep postseason run? And you know, his criteria may be so demanding that he never actually reaches it. And you know, that may wind up you know, three, four years down the line. He may have some regrets because of that. Yeah, and I think that's the worry that is reasonable um and so he's not gonna be able to have his cake and eat it too i just think some of the like jimmy butler is toxic stories are being a little bit overblown because to me i think if you put him on houston and this is a good place to end he's not gonna show up and be pissed off at chris paul and james harden all year i think like if you put him with winners he can go win um but the question for him is like are you okay kind of being the second or third guy instead of number one. And we don't know about that. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't that toxic because they had the best season they'd had in 15 years. Right. right? So like there's a difference between like very aggravating and very, uh, you know, combative and aggressive to the point of, yeah, exhausting uh, and being a guy who completely checks out and mails it in and isn't backing it up on the floor. And I think he's definitely in that first category, not the second. What I heard is that he basically acted as if he were Kobe and was kind of demeaning to people from a day-to-day basis. And, uh, and this, like you can do that when you've won three or four or five rings, but like some of the reactions in Minnesota were just like, dude, like <laughs> Have you even made the second round of the playoffs? Like, how real is that? Um, but the the Rockets thing, I, looking at this, I really think Jimmy is going to be traded to a very random team, and it's going to kind of come out of nowhere. And I feel like it could be the Rockets because Tibbs may not get a better deal than, like, Eric Gordon and Nene and two picks for and you could even have the the Rockets the second Rockets pick be like a first in the middle of the 2020s and I think that's a good deal for Minnesota where they they get somebody who can help them win now and then also set themselves up for the future a little bit are the Rockets legitimate contenders are you finally going to acknowledge that they could (laughs) knock Golden State out of a playoff series if they wind up with Jimmy Butler here oh man it would be so much fun wouldn't it no, that is the best case scenario for the league office standpoint is to have somebody who's really going to be able to scare uh, Golden State because yeah. if you have Jimmy on that roster, you could play him as like a small ball five, right? Like I would rather have Jimmy play center on that weird lineup look or like, oh you God. know, with, with Tucker potentially changing, you know, switching everything and then having Jimmy just getting under people. I mean, he can guard power forwards, you know, no problem. He's done that a lot. Uh, now all of a sudden you've got you know three or four elite ball handlers. You've got three great shooters. Um, you've got just defensive versatility and motor. Uh, you know on all sides. I mean that would be a really really awesome team. And plus it would be combustible too because there would be nights where it didn't work, and there would be nights where these guys would be cussing each other out on the court on national TV <laughs> and. Uh, 
that's good for business too, right? Yeah, you know, it would be fascinating to watch because maybe Jimmy Butler is as unhealthy as everybody else says. Um, but either way, it would make the West so much more interesting to think about. The other, like, another weird team to trade for him would be the Nuggets. Like, if you could give up Millsap and try to get Jimmy Butler back, that would be amazing. I'd love to watch that. Um, the Bucks are rumored to have offered our package deal of Bledsoe and Brogdon, um, which, you know, I don't think Tibbs needs those guys. He's got enough, like, traditional guards, but adding Jimmy Butler next to Middleton and Giannis would be amazing. No matter what, I think we need to root for this to end with Jimmy Butler on, like, a top three seed type team. And and it's we're getting to the point where I'm not sure how many teams that aren't in, in that position like have a reason to trade for him because all of this has gotten so weird. Yeah, I don't love that Denver fit. I think Milwaukee, it would be worth it. I think um, Houston, I mean, definitely do it. It's not like Daryl Morey needs encouragement. You know, he's out there trying, I'm sure. Uh, anytime he can get talent, you know, he, he will try. But I like where your head's at. Get, get him onto like a top three seed in the Western Conference, really scare and shake up this Gold State malaise. Maybe they'll try for once during the regular season. Um, that's the best case scenario, but the second best case scenario still is the spite trade to just some you know, backwater. And I, I'm still kind of, you know, frankly, personally, I'm holding out for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ben has been waiting for a spite trade ever since the Kawhi stuff began almost a year ago. So please, someone hook him up with a Sacramento Kings trade. Um, yeah, I hear you, man. Well, the should we do the psychoanalysis you mentioned the rockets thing yeah you know you've had some people who are really trying to dig in deep to your brain here over the last <laughs> week or two i'm not totally sure why i mean we have been plugging the email very relentlessly it's openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com and i think on one of the times i was plugging it i was telling people hey we love hearing your zingers and your funny theories and like you guys always come at us so well and i think a couple a couple of our readers took that advice personally and they were like trying to deconstruct you as a person and as an entity yeah and how are you feeling maybe you should just read your own self-deconstruction and then we'll just pick up the pieces huh (laughs) okay um so we'll start with Sam. We got two. First is Sam who says, Did Sharp end his love affair with Steph Curry? Let me explain my question. For the past several years, Andrew's insistent, borderline sociopathic behavior towards James Harden has bothered me. However, part of why I enjoy Sharp so much is that he's willing to change his opinion based on new revelations. I thought this year's Rockets run would finally change his opinions toward Harden. Boy, was I wrong. The only thing worse than the baseless Mm. Harden slander was Sharp pretending that he respects his game so that now he doesn't have to talk about him. (laughs) And if I have to hear Sharp say some version of, that series wasn't close, the Warriors weren't trying, one more time, I'll lose it. Having said that, my prayers were answered over the summer. Directly from the mouth of Sharp's one true love, Steph Curry, came this. That was probably one of the hardest series I think we've ever played in. That series literally felt like two months. That was the one where I can look back and say, that was a gauntlet. 
Now I know that Sharp listens to some of the Ringer pods, and there's no way he skipped over the Steph interview with Bill Simmons. So what gives? Will Sharp disavow the direct word of his favorite basketball player, and will he finally give some real love to James Harden and the Rockets? There's a lot there, it. Ben. No, I loved it with Sam. I mean, what Sam was really doing there is he was just fed up with what I've become fed up with, which is your fake respect. <laughs> you love to do the line of like, oh, yeah, I really respect the game of player X, who you obviously, and we can tell with your tone, you obviously don't actually respect them. The Spurs are on this list. Harden's on this list. Middleton's on this list. Yep. Millsap's on this list. <laughs> I mean, it is absolutely one of your major crutches but sam's got you in the vice here how are you gonna wiggle out of this one the greased pig the hedgehog which everyone always has called you in the past how are you going to thread this needle okay so first of all i didn't actually hear that part of the bill simmons steph interview i listened oh, to you it must have just tuned it out how convenient <laughs> yeah i apologize we would have addressed this earlier um but i missed that I, look, if I don't blame Steph for feeling that way, and I think the problem is, and this is where the real disconnect begins, is like there are a lot of people who have pointed to that series as a way to kind of dismiss com- competitive balance concerns and say the gap from the, b- between the rest of the league and the Warriors is nowhere near as big as people think, and like that's why they play the games, and this is like it's all being completely overblown. That's just not true. And I think we need to stop using that series as proof that like the rest of the league really has a shot because what actually happened is the Warriors had Iguodala get injured and then they their offense completely broke down and they just didn't play very well and weren't particularly engaged in some of those games. And I don't I'm sure it did feel like a gauntlet for Steph and the, the the Rockets defense deserves a lot of credit. They were the the first team to successfully force Golden State into like one-on-one iso ball um and it's it's one reason the series was close, but I don't think we need to overreact and say the gap has actually been closed. What do you think? I thought those teams were very close when they faced off. I yeah. mean, I, I think and, the Iguodala injury obviously was a concern. Of course, the Chris Paul injury on the other side like wound up playing a pretty big factor in that series. But that was a really tough series, no matter what blind zealots like yourself are going to try to explain <laughs> it was, to us. It definitely it was. It was a tough series. Those guys were so relieved when they won it. They weren't celebrating. It was a complete sigh of relief from their side. Okay. At the same time, we can say if Iguodala is healthy, they win in five. Yes, that's fine. I think from the competitive balance standpoint, that series really taught us that there was two good teams in the entire league last year. And, they, and, they faced off in the Western Conference Finals. Everybody else got ran off the court by Golden State. And I think that we can also say uh, that that was basically a dream season from Houston's standpoint. Yeah. Are they going to be able to play that well, that deeply into the postseason again? I have my doubts. I really like the Rockets. I really like Harden. I really like Chris Paul still. I probably uh, have him rated higher than a lot of people do. Uh, and, you know, same thing too. with a lot of their role guys. Capella, you know, P.J. Tucker. I like these guys a lot. Uh, but a lot of things went completely according to plan to put them in that position for that Western Conference Finals. And we can't just assume it's going to happen again next year. And I think that the gap 
was not between one and two last year. The gap was between two and the other 28. And, you know, eventually, you know, I agree with that as, as time kind of goes on here, I think you're going to come to appreciate the Rockets, but I guys, Sam, you can hear me speechless. I don't, I don't, (laughs) I am a lost cause. This was a good team. Yes. Look, they were a good team and the defense especially deserves a lot of credit for taking the Warriors out of what they wanted to do and what they have been able to do successfully in almost every playoff series they've played. Um, I just, to me, that series spoke to, number one, how weird things had gotten with Kevin Durant and, and, and where KD was through this run. Number two, the margin for error that the Warriors have in every game they play, because again, like even game seven, like they weren't, they were kind of all over the place and then suddenly they turn it on and nobody can touch them. Um, And number three, it just, well, I don't even know what the number three is. It's fine. Uh, The Rockets were really good. (laughs) Let's just say that. End of discussion. I don't want to argue about the Rockets Warrior series ever again. It's a new year. New arguments will be upon us. Um, however, before we move on, there was one other long email, and I've shortened it here. Thaddeus said, Maybe Ben can help shed some light on this, but I think Sharp has some deep seated hate toward Durant, stemming from Durant not even taking a meeting with the Wizards in 2016. Please note, he always ends every Durant rant with, I love Kevin Durant, said in passing, much like a Donald Trump compliment. For example, Paul Manafort is a great guy. I don't know why he lied and broke all those laws. Of course, the scorned lover is one of the most confusing types of people out there. He probably does love Durant, but it's clear what his real feelings are and where this all began. Um, first of all, the Trump comparison is even lower than Clarence Thomas or Alex Jones and Ben Shapiro. But honestly, even more accurate. How many (laughs) times have we heard from you? I love Kevin Durant, but he's a snake who ruined the NBA. I love Kevin Durant, but he shouldn't really have the right to choose what team he wants to play on. I love Kevin Durant and respect. I do love. I do love Kevin. He needs to leave the Bay Area no matter what happens. I mean, I think. Thaddeus, I'm not sure why you wanted my help with this. I think you just nailed it. I think he nailed you. I think he's got you with a clean headshot here, Andrew. It, you know what it is? It's like Renee Zellweger in Jerry Maguire. I love Kevin Durant for the man he wants to be, and I love Kevin Durant for the man he almost is. That That's how I feel about KD. We're close. Oh we just God. need to alter things just a little bit, and uh, we'll get there one day. You know what I mean? You're never going to change him, Andrew. You have to accept Kevin Durant for who he's become, not whatever the other nonsense that you were quoting was. This isn't a romantic comedy. This is reality (laughs) basketball. Kevin Durant has fashioned a fantastic career for himself, two finals MVP, two titles, and you haven't enjoyed any of it because you've been so hung up, as Thaddeus noted, on uh, the dreams of yours that were dashed by his free agency decision. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, I can only do so much. I I am human. And and wait, hold on. It wasn't about the free agency decision, just to be very clear. It really... Okay. Come on. There are a lot of people who think it was about the Wizards. The Wizards didn't deserve KD in 2016 because they kept Randy Whitman like three years longer than they should have. 
Um, I don't blame KD for for looking at Ernie Grenfeld and being like, I'm not going to trust my future to that dude. But uh, it is kind of funny in hindsight to like stack those two teams up side by side. You know, it's like you've got Steve Kerr or what the Wizards were selling. <laughs> yeah. You've got Ernie Grunfeld or Bob Myers, who just like continues to pull rabbits out of his hats every single summer. You've got Wizards ownership, which is like blogging about weight loss and hockey all the time. Or you've got Warriors ownership, which is like putting together like multinational off-court deals for their players. Um it's amazing you guys were even in the conversation. I don't know how hard you had well, to work to put the Wizards in the conversation, but uh, <laughs> you know, that was a testament to your work ethic, not towards what the Wizards was selling. Let me tell you, Ben, we were not in the conversation by the end. And that's one thing that Durant kind of got right. Um, so anyways, moving on. We've, this has been pure gibberish tonight, but it is what it no, is. Oh, it's been great. Make sure you read this Philip question, though, because the people keep coming after you. Okay, so Philip said, hey guys, uh, Philip in Sweden here. So we have this weird home decorating store in Stockholm. It used to be this great store where you could buy all these different materials to build your own things. But over the years, it became a store that sells nothing but low-end building gadgets. <laughs> the story, the store is called John Wall, not joking. <laughs> and oh, he sends, boy. he sent us two pictures, one from 2018, which is really depressing. And one from like 1965 in Stockholm, which looks great. And uh, the metaphor is really hard to miss. Um, and it's going to be on my, I'll, I'll think about this store in Sweden several times throughout this season, I, I imagine. I think you will. Hey, I wanted to bring something up on this John Wall note. Do you remember about five years ago, the agent David Falk just absolutely ripped John yes. Wall to shreds for basically no reason? Yeah, so back in 2013, just to remind people, David Falk just basically out of nowhere said that, you know, Wall wasn't as good as Kyrie Irving, who was just coming off the Rookie of the Year campaign because he didn't really have good feel. He basically said to the Wizards management in print in the Washington Post, before John Wall becomes Nene, trade him and get rid of him. Yeah. You guys are in a dreamland. The team sucks so bad. You want John Wall to be someone he will never be. He compared John Wall to Magic Johnson and Chris Paul, saying those guys had great feel, better than Wall had uh, when they were both basically in high school. Uh, you know, He keeps going on to say, you know, you know, John Wall, even with a jumper, isn't going to be a great point guard because he doesn't know how to really run an offense or play at multiple speeds. I mean, he really lashed into John Wall, and I think he actually apologized after he the did. fact about it. But now that we're sitting here five years and like $300 million later, I was actually wondering... Did David Falk get proven right? Or is he on the way to be proven right? Or where are you standing on like the ultimate hot take of all hot take from David Falk? <laughs> well, that was a big deal because Falk is in DC also. And he's at a lot of Wizards games, or he was at that point. He doesn't come as often these days. Um, but it was a big deal. And give me a couple weeks to just be excited about this wizard season because (laughs) all right that's really all i ask like reality will hit somewhere down the line i'm good with it at least for the next month or two and uh check back in december we'll see we'll see what happens (laughs) with this team i can't believe they're playing now and uh i just 
I don't have the heart to even look at like what Austin Rivers is doing out there. I can't believe this is all really happening. That's a good place to end. I'll talk to you later in the week. And uh, on that note, actually, we're next week's episode, we are previewing the season. Sports Illustrated asked us to do a more traditional preview. So what we're going to do is answer one question about all 30 teams in the NBA. So if you're out there, if you're a fan of the Kings, if you're a fan of the Suns, the Hawks, please send us in a question. We will choose only one and do about two or three minutes on every single team. Uh, But uh, we wanted to involve you guys as well. Like we said at the beginning, we're worried about this becoming the LeBron hour, right? We don't want to just do Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. Obviously, if they're a story, we're going to talk about them. I'm going to be around them a lot this year. It's going to come up. But for this preview episode, we want to cover all 30 bases, right? So like you mentioned, if you're a fan of one of these teams, like if you're Kevin down in Orlando and you're always mad because we never talk about the magic, or if you're, you've got a favorite team who we don't bring up here and, and really give our takes on, send us a question, make it a good one. We'll air it on next week's preview episode, and we'll talk about all 30 teams. It'll be a kind of a rapid-fire style podcast. Andrew, I'm looking forward to it. Send those questions to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Go to Apple Podcasts, find our page, search uh, for Open Floor. It's two words. Scroll down once you find that page. Uh, Look for the rate and review section. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.